The Athletic. Hello to you all and welcome to the 60th edition of On The Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. I'm Michael Bailey. I hope this finds you safe and well. On the way, an XR of 0.96, that's expected rant. Uh, What if it had been Emmy, other player? Does that work? Yeah. And a massive crystal ball for a massive week. Uh, We will work through all that and more with our terribly excited guests this evening. They are former Norwich City press officer, Ben Mouncer. Hello, Michael. And former Norris City Publications and Programme Editor, Dan Brigham. Hello, Michael. Both still delighted at the uh, titles that I've given them of their former careers. Um, uh, before we crack on, let me tell you all that right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts for less than £1 per week. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com forward slash Norwich pod. Thank you everyone for joining us. How are we, Ben? How are you? I'm okay. Thank you, Michael. But more to the point, how are you? I was a bit worried about you after the game against Middlesbrough when I watched your video. Why? Why would you be worried? I don't know. It was, it was an extraordinary performance, an extraordinary kind of theatrical rant. (laughs) 12 minutes of compelling um, audio visual entertainment, I have to say. Wow. Like every Much better than the game. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all forgotten the game. Uh, yeah, you are, of course, talking about my video verdict. You can watch on my YouTube channel. Yes, I channel, am. Should you wish. Are, are you all right? Are you okay? I, I'm fine. I mean, yeah. what, what I've found is that I've kind of been forgetting about it, and then I start talking about it, and then I get angry again. So that is potentially what might happen over the next 10 minutes or so, especially in this first part. But uh, um, I'm glad you're okay, and nice deflection. Um, Dan, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I must admit, that's the first time I've watched one of your video verdicts uh, based on Ben's recommendation. <laughs> uh, very entertaining. Uh, it felt a little bit like the football punditry version of Michael Douglas's falling down film where he just loses his rag suddenly. I, I, I was one, I was slightly um, delighted that no one else was in Carrow Road at the time you were doing that because I was worried about their welfare. Gosh, I thought I was quite calm and balanced, but obviously, obviously not. Even- Quietly seething, that's what you've got to worry about. Yeah, it was a bit of simmering, I think. I'll I'll give you that one. Uh, Someone else said it was nice to see me rattled. (laughs) I mean, A, I've obviously done well to... um, carry myself so um with such equilibrium for about 12 years um but there we go as which is clearly not the case by the way um and thanks for watching a video dan i'm sure you'll now subscribe um almost certainly um two and a half thousand people have watched it that's very impressive uh, who what half a two dozen and a half thousand people oh really yeah. what they, they all Stroud wasn't one of them Stroud. i hope he was <laughs> might have picked something up anyway we'll yeah. get into that um now i think let's crack on with this week's headline act So uh, we're covering off two things here. Tuesday last week, my piece on Emmy Buendia's time in Spain went live. It was a piece I'd wanted to write for about a year. And then it all eventually came together in the space of several months. Um, and of course, the first game after it's published, Emmy Buendia gets sent off, which I suppose is not actually that unlikely, really. Uh, if we go to our dear Steve Sanders on NCFC numbers, uh, his wonderfully crafted 
tweets and stats uh, post game on Saturday. Only eight players since 1985 have picked up three or more red cards in their Norwich City careers. Emmy Wendia has now been sent off three times in just over six months. Um, and there was then the list of the games per red card for all of said players who'd picked up more three or more reds. And uh, Emmy's is uh, by far and away the most uh, prolific of uh, a red card every 26 games, which is um, which is remarkable, really, uh, when he's well ahead of people like Daryl Russell and Mike Milligan, who uh, who certainly uh, had it in them. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about the piece uh, that I wrote in a bit, but uh, we obviously have to talk about it sending off against Middlesbrough first. Um, so, Ben, does, does Emmy Buendia have a problem? Oh, um, well, first of all, I think it's important to clear up that I, I don't think Emmy Buendia is a violent player. He's not a Jerry Barton kind of player who's getting sent off for those kind of reasons. Um, if you look... If you think back to his red cards, obviously this one, two yellows, the one earlier in the season against Stoke was, was two yellows. Um, so it's, it almost kind of hints at a, a naivety. And I think that's what it's, what it's about, really. He's, he's maybe naive in, in situations and he, he, he often is targeted by the opposition. I think Neil Warnock said as much um, in the post-match press after this game. So it's a combination of those things. And maybe that is a, that is a problem because this is a footballer who's, you know, he's played quite a lot of games. He's still young, but he's played, played a lot in, in played a lot of professional football. Now he should be looking to iron this kind of um, thing out of his game. But is it a serious problem? I'm not sure it is. And I'm hopeful that you know, as, as he does kind of continue to mature, hopefully here at Norwich City, then it will eventually be um, something we don't have to worry about. Dan, you go before me, please. No, I don't think it's a problem. He's, as Ben says, the one at Stoke was also two yellow cards. So he's picked up six yellow cards this season. for, And for a player of his sort of, um, his tenacity, I think that's probably the kind of risk and reward you're going to expect from someone like him. He's going to produce moments of magic. He's going to work incredibly hard. He's going to put in an incredibly tough defensive shift. And occasionally he's going to get yellow cards for it. I don't really remember him ever putting in a really nasty tackle. Maybe the sending off against QPR. Yeah, the one against QPR. But even that was um, debatable about, as to whether that was, you know, a violent conduct, I think. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it's, it's one every 26 games is still one a season it averages out at which I think you can you can you know you can take that can't you he is young he probably will learn from it but what we don't want to lose is his desire to win the ball back because that's what sort of makes him stand out from a lot of other attacking players and a lot of other players who play in that sort of similar position to him he is absolutely committed uh, to winning the ball back and I'd rather him get sent off occasionally than him lose that entirely because I think uh, that would impact Norwich's game uh, more negatively than missing a couple of games this season. Um, Daniel Farker was was balanced about it after the game, uh, I would say, um, and probably um, almost less in Emmy's corner than maybe I was. <laughs> um, but uh, I think uh, he, he it's, it's difficult because you're trying to trust trust players in terms of what they do, and you really want eleven players on the pitch all game. Um, so that's that's one element of it. Um, I think he has a problem in terms of his reputation. I think that's that's the tricky bit now because every way I cut it, you've got opposition that, are, as you said, Ben, Neil Warnock said, we just basically came out and said we tried to get him sent off effectively because they knew it could happen. So you've got team trying to get him sent off. And however you then 
uh, go about correcting whatever it was that happened around the second yellow, um, all you're doing is shifting the, to get him getting booked. <laughs> and all, all you'll have is opposition desperately trying to get him booked <laughs> in the first instance. So there's that as well. So I think, um, you know, he was only sent off once, I think, in, in all of his time in Spain, um, which I checked. And that was, a, that was a great sending off. That was a proper, I'm going to come and just kick straight through you. Away I go. And, uh, and that was, uh, I think he still looked uh, suitably, you know, um, disgruntled with the decision after his kick through. Is that, is that um, right? Because he came with a reputation, didn't he, for being, uh, well, picking up bookings. Um, yeah, I think in they, my head I had it. I had it that he already had quite a few sending offs, but some, that's interesting that he had only one in Spain. It was one with Ketafe. I think there was another instance where he was investigated for spitting at someone who'd wound him up late in a game, um, which uh, it, but there was no further action retrospectively either. I've seen I've seen the footage. I managed to dig it out somewhere on the depths of the internet, and it was a bit like, well, whoever the player was, it is in, in the piece. He, he sort of wiped his face afterwards. So either he was fat at or he just had some sweat. Who knows? But that was the, the incident. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't like he was getting sent off every week in, in Spain or whichever. So, um, but I think reputationally now, as we, you know, we, we can tell he's already got this many red cards in, in England. Um, referees are probably going to make their decisions based on who it is who committed the foul and how much people are crying about it at the time um, rather than the actual incident itself uh, so you guys have both seen my 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 view of it is there anything you you you, you pick holes in or is there anything you'd ask me about it rather than me just sitting here and going over it again for another 10 minutes because i don't think anyone wants to hear that well you, i think i think you were correct i think Thanks. Stroud's performance was poor um it shouldn't the letter of the law it shouldn't have been a yellow because he allows play to go on so so it should have been immediately stopped um which makes it even more frustrating that it then can't be um Norris can't appeal it because it wasn't to the letter of the law but what I would say though is as frustrating as officiating has been in the championship this season and in for a few seasons now it's still eminently uh, preferable to VAR though isn't it <laughs> I'd rather be moaning about Keith Strauss performance than uh, the performance of VAR. I did have a I did have a discussion with someone. I don't know the answer. I, I'm assuming that a, a VAR can still check over a second yellow red card because it is a sending off incident. I, I don't think VAR is completely restricted in terms of. I think that's right, but um, okay. and, and you know, it's, I, I might be wrong. In truth, I haven't double checked it, but I mean. I don't know. I, I would hate to predict what VAR would do, even in the most obvious of circumstances, because I saw um, Bruno Fernandes' um, tackle and, and like, I don't know how you don't get sent off for a rake down the back of someone's leg. But um, I just have this issue, really, that and I know you've used this word, so this isn't directed at you, Ben, but the, the, the naivety of Emi Buendia, I'm assuming is that he went to ground. I mean, are we physically saying that if you go to ground, it's you know, worthy of a booking. I just, I can't, I can't really think of any real way that it was a yellow card. So I, I appreciate we, and we started the conversation about talking about, you know, Emmy's discipline, his naivety, what he shouldn't, shouldn't do, or if, you know, giving the referee a decision to make, which, which he did, even though it was the wrong decision. I mean, I feel for him in that regard, because I don't, when all said and done, I don't really think that what we're basically saying is either, um, it's, it's a wrong decision and, and, and that sort of stuff, or, you can't basically slide in or even challenge for the ball if you're already on a yellow, which is which is something I do have an issue with because where do you sort of go from that, really? 
Yeah, I don't think it's something you can kind of crystallize in law, you know, <laughs> whether whether you're going to be able to slide in or not. But for me, I mean, I'm at the opposite end of the spectrum, I think, to you here, Michael, in that I really kind of watch football and I don't really care about the referees. I don't really agonize over referees' performances. I think there are loads more interesting things to talk about. But I, I do appreciate that with this particular incident, there were two really annoying things for me. One of them was that when you saw the incident in a replay, for me, it's it's obviously not a yellow card. We've cleared that up. Also, the the behaviour of George Saville um, in, in between the incident happening and Emi Brandier being sent off was also extremely irritating. But what I would say is that when when it happened live, and I think it was in the corner of the screen as we were watching it, I thought, ooh. And I guess we have to kind of trust referees to an extent that their kind of first instinct as, as you know, my first instinct was that that could be another yellow card. Obviously, looking at it again, it's not. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't want to come to the whole the the defence of Keith Stroud here because it it was a poor decision. But um, yeah, I, I just think that it was one of them where it, it, it when the incident first happened, I thought it could it 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 was a yellow card. It could potentially have been a yellow card. Which you know what if he'd have then just stopped play and booked him, then it would have been his first instinct. <laughs> I think the problem was yeah. it came after the middles were a bench had uh, shouted at George Savile to stay down <laughs> and okay. then everything else. Well, obviously we're, right. we're kind of, yeah. yeah, like the, the actual second by second, like um, how that incident unfolded. Like, obviously I wasn't, I don't know, you probably had a better view of that in the stadium, but um, yeah, what exactly happened from, from the foul happening to the red card? So you said the borough bench were... Yeah, so I think, um, so he went in, and you're right, it's like, mm, don't slide in, Emmy. Um, everyone immediately was like, whoa, because they were, they were, and it was the first opportunity they'd had, and they knew it was Emmy, so they knew exactly what they were doing. Mm. So they are all immediately shouting whilst play's carrying on. George Savile sort of gets up to, to start chasing after them, and the quite mouthy assistant coach, or whoever it was with Neil Warnock, I don't know who he was, who was booming all game, just bellowed, George, stay down, George, stay down. Um, right. So which he did, stayed down holding his stomach, obviously, until play stopped, I think went out for a throw. So obviously then they all run back towards the incident, at which play the Middlesbrough players have only got one place to be, which is there in the middle. And everyone's sort of shouting, really. And Savile only gets up, I think, I think he. I can't remember if he only gets up after the the red is is shown, or, or because as soon as as soon as the referee then starts walking away from him and looking at Emmy, you know he's going to book him. So, um, he, by I that think point, Savile got up before decision. the red was shown. I think I, you're I, right. I yeah. So it might yeah. have been it might have been once once because he'd already walked past. Noticeably, the ref had already ran past Emmy to see how George was. I think, and at that point, he probably got up to make his point alongside everyone else. And, but you know, hey. All teams are going to do what they, they do to gain an advantage. So I'm not naive. I understand exactly what Middlesbrough are doing. But if we sent everyone off because the opposition were trying to get them sent off, then, um, you know, we'd kill the sport. Um, and that's where you I think, a, a yeah. referee, a strong referee. Obviously, that, that kind of behaviour is pretty unsavoury. But I think the focus should be going forward. Should Emi Buendia on a yellow card in the middle of the pitch when there's, you know, very little immediate danger be going to ground in, in that exact situation, even perhaps knowing that the, the Middlesbrough yeah, staff yeah. and no, players would have reacted as they would. That's exactly I it. Think, we, you know. That's exactly the point, really, because what we're saying, the result is, once Emi Buendia is on the yellow card, don't challenge for the ball. That's basically what the logical sort of result of this is now, is that he needs to just stand there and, and not challenge. But the problem is then you just end up trying to get him booked because as soon as you've booked him, you've nullified him in terms of winning the ball back. So all it does is really shift the problem 
Um, or, or, but you know, we're talking about a specific set of circumstances in a specific game. And I feel now I get to this point where I'm like, we haven't spoken about the fact Norwich weren't very good and all the good stuff that Middlesbrough did. And it becomes a bit about that. Um, I just don't like injustice. <laughs> then it, Dan, did you want to say then it's Jerry? conversations like this? It, well, I was going to say that it's been noticeable that um, the Norwich players have clearly been instructed to foul more often in opposition half when we lose the ball this season, and which I've got no real problem with. Um, but just maybe don't do it when you're on a yellow card. But it's also conversations like this that led to the introduction. I mean, I'm, I'm not claiming um, any power or responsibility here. Uh, you may do though, Michael. Uh, but this is what led to VAR, isn't it? This is conversations like this on Match of the Day on uh, Sky Sports. Conversations like this that take up mm. probably too much time and less talk about the actual football led to the introduction of VAR, I think. And it, which, and if it comes to the Championship well, be, uh, as well, it would be kind of a, a sad, uh, sad expansion of it, I think. Um, I can't believe you brought... A long way around it, it saying, let's stop talking about the referees. You've brought it back to VAR both times, Dan. And <laughs> and by the way, the only reason we're talking about it is because the referee made a complete ricket because he didn't stop playing and send him off. So um, maybe if the referees were better, we wouldn't need a referee watching a, a video screen who is still a referee watching a video screen and still getting it wrong. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So there we go. Um, read my piece on Emmy Buendia in Spain because he only gets sent off once in that. <laughs> it's and, you know, you've got a week of not seeing him play any football. So um, uh, did anything stick in your mind about um, Emmy Buendia in Spain, gentlemen, <laughs> from, from all of it all? Dan, not VAR. <laughs> oh, I suppose the, um, the sudden uh, change of mind from playing for Spain's uh, sort of youth levels, his adopted country, to then when he was offered the opportunity, essentially it sounded like through Messi getting involved, uh, to play for his uh, country of uh, birth, Argentina. Which is I kind of sums him up a little bit. I think it's sort of he has that sort of it's a cliche, but he has that sort of spirit and passion about football inside him, and he just wants to, uh, to get out there with the football, doesn't he? And I think that probably comes across in the way he plays and in the way he picks up yellow cards as well. <laughs> One of the best quotes I think in the piece, Michael, was from Pablo Franco, who I think was the Hatafe B coach, who said Emmy was a difficult player to manage. And I think the, the two, the, this conversation is going to be linked to the one we've just had about his red card against Middlesbrough. Because first of all, you know, I think we have to give Daniel Farker some credit here in that he is he has been the manager who's been able to extract the level of performance we've seen out of Emi Bundira over the last two and a half seasons or nearly three seasons. So in order to do that, he's, he's had to find a way to, 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 to manage him. So I think credit to Daniel Farker, but also like, as a fan, this is part. This is part of Emmy's appeal. Really, he's almost like a vulnerable character, like a breakable kind of character. 
And I think as a fan, you really relate to, to players like that. So to go back to something Dan said earlier on, you wouldn't want to take that kind of fire away from him. And, and, and it comes through in that piece. I think someone else in the article spoke about his kind of spark and his desire. That's obviously been there from a very kind of early age throughout his time in Spain. Um, so yeah, that, that was the main kind of takeaway for me. Beautiful. Well, um, go and read it, people, if you want to read it um, and you've got a spare bit of time. Um, I'll be sharing it a lot over the next however many months. <laughs> so it's all there. Um, and uh, I hope you get to enjoy it. Right, uh, let's move on, shall we? Everyone will be delighted to hear. Two, things we are not going to talk about. Uh, these are the things that have happened and deserve acknowledgement, but we are only going to acknowledge them by stating how we are not going to talk about them. Makes sense? Good. Uh, we only have three minutes to do it as well. So please, uh, can we cue the dramatic music? Right, this week we are not going to talk about, well, not going to talk about referees anymore for starters, so that's the first one. Um, it, it was a goalless draw against Middlesbrough. Um, Norwich struggling for shots on target. I asked Daniel Farker this uh, today in the press conference, and no, he's, he's not particularly worried about the lack of uh, the lack of uh, shots on target. So uh, away we go. We're definitely not going to talk about that. Uh, gentlemen, Dan? Uh, the, yeah, the commentators for the game, which you wouldn't have listened to, obviously, because you were there, Michael, talking about... Middlesbrough as if they were some sort of pl plucky underdogs from League Two was was grating. This is a club, one of the biggest <laughs> clubs in the Championship with, you know, the top, one of the top three managers in the Championship as well, one of the toughest clubs to play. Um, and it's sort of skewed the balance of it. We did, I think, four points against them across the season is an excellent return against that side, who I fully expect to end up in the top six. You know what, I was just about to say that. I definitely think they'll finish in the top six. I think they made two great signings this window, and, and Neil Warnock knows that very much what he's doing. So uh, yeah. it's always funny watching social media on TweetDeck, and you, when Norwich are live on Sky, all I see is fans commenting on Don Goodman, pretty much, <laughs> which is always amazing. <laughs> and Ben, anything you don't want to talk about? Well, just on the Borough thing, I, I, I agree with Dan, really. Like, obviously, obviously, it is a bit of a concern that we weren't able to get a shot on target. I think but a, a lot of credit goes to Borough, especially because I think watching Norwich City a lot this season, when one or two of the attacking players haven't been able to um, to make things happen, we, we always seem to have like an out ball, whether it's Max Aarons on the right or even like Kenny McLean in, in more recent matches where we're able to, someone's able to get things going. I think in this match, Borough did such a brilliant job of nullifying our attacking threats, and I'm talking particularly about Max Aaron's. There, it was it was his quietest game, I think, for ages. I can't I can't remember a game where he had fewer touches than he did in this one. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we have to, to place a lot of credit on um, on Borough, and I'm not too worried going forward. I'm in Daniel Farker's camp. Love it. Well, we all are. Yeah. Go on, Dan. Uh, well, well, and also, Borough have uh, given up the fewest shots on target per game this season, haven't they? But mm. on another thing is, uh, well, I don't want to talk about it, Johnny House and not being a regular Premier League footballer makes me quite sad. <laughs> He's so when he good. Joined Norwich, he was so good, and he was so good in the second half of Paul Lambert's Premier League season and the first season under Chris Hewson. And it looked like a player who was ready-made, you know, two-footed central midfielder, box to box. That guy should be playing regular Premier League football. Did Neil Warnock say he's the best midfielder he's ever managed? Yeah. yeah. He'd have loved to have played in the Farker side as well. It would have been so different if he'd stayed, wouldn't it? Well, I was, During the game, I was imagining an Ollie Skip, Johnny House and midfield oh. too. Which... It's no secret that Daniel Farker was absolutely gutted to lose him yeah. as well. Yeah. Oh, Johnny. And he looks so good in his beard. <laughs> it's like beard and hair. I hope he's still got his Let's Go Fishing van. 
Mustang. I think, and, and the Mustang. Yeah. 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 Well, that, that's the dramatic music over, I think, pretty much. <laughs> so we, we talked a little bit about the um, Dimitris Yanoulis. Uh, he made his debut. We, we're not going to yep. talk about it, but, you know, he got he, better. He made, his, he made his debut. I mean, let's be honest here. He was poor. He was yeah. poor. But yeah. also, it's okay to say that and admit that and, and you know, own that <laughs> fact by also saying that he, you know, we should in no way judge him on his first appearance, having only had a few days training. Um, he, did, he did come across as a different player in the second half, I thought. He got yes. to grips with it and provided more of attack, an attacking outlet in the second half. He in put in two crosses. He, yeah. In the first half, it was a, yeah, a little bit of a I worry. Think, it's his first yeah. game. I think he had a 55% pass completion rate, which if that continues, he's not, it's not going to work in a Daniel Farker team. But, um, taking yeah, risks. No, I'm, I'm sure. Um, risks. I mean, he wasn't. Did he? <laughs> I, know, I know he wasn't. I know he wasn't. I would, that first, no. I have to, to be honest, that first half is about as bad a first 45 minutes of a, of a signing I've, I've seen I think cause he yeah didn't really it's horrible it. isn't it because 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 like you know that that one of, one of the main things you're looking out for in that game was his performance as an analysis debut you know really excited to see how he does so you're kind of looking at every single thing that he does in forensic detail thinking and then he was pretty much giving it away every time but I'm sure he'll go on to be excellent and I'm, I'm not going to say um I'm not judging him obviously after one exactly. match Exactly. And Dan, you were ruffling your face. Well, the first half did remind me of Evo Pinto a little bit in that he just got his head down and seemed to have little finesse. But the second half, I thought he looked there was his movement in the sort of final attacking third um, and his link up play was much better. Uh, well, I, I can't really remember any of that, but um, I do remember <laughs> a uh, I do remember a, a really good run into the box, which is something Jakob Sorensen wouldn't do. Um, but something Max Irons would do, for example, on the other side. I think it was like a, an inside run inside the fullback, which is like, oh, yeah, that, that looks promising. Um, it, was, it was the spaces he was running into, which I picked up on, and he did it two or three times. There was Then he went on the outside and put one beautiful ball that went straight through the six-yard box. Um, although, you know, there wasn't really anyone there to get on the end of it. But, um, yeah, more to come, I'm sure. Uh, we won't talk about Dennis Mann going to Palmer because that was so the summer. Um Mario's chance we've we've already mentioned basically in, in indirectly and that's enough. Classic Mario Vranch's performance. He was he was excellent for the first ten minutes and then just wasn't there. That's harsh. <laughs> wasn't there that's harsh. Mario. Well, that's the other thing as well. I think this is the first time this season we've really suffered without a proper number ten. I think, especially with Todd and Emmy man marked, we needed a decent number ten. To be fair to Mario, that's not his natural position. Um, if we had a fully fit Steeperman from the eighteen nineteen season, I think it would have been a different outcome on Saturday. Step up, Kieran Dow. Your time is now. Okay, on to Centrefold. It is uh, Monday evening as we record. Uh, there are still more than six hours to go before the January transfer window closes. And I don't think there will be uh, anything new that is left to happen um as was really the case when i woke up this morning um we should touch on the one thing that was confirmed which is uh erlen neeland uh, uh i'm trying to pronounce this right erlen neeland because it's not it's not all jan nyland which i'm definitely trying not to say so uh erlen neeland um is uh happy thoughts He's obviously signed on a short-term deal till the end of the season. It's got about three weeks. It'll take him to get back up to fitness after back surgery. Um, he left by uh, mutual consent in terms of Aston Villa in the autumn. I, well, I think it makes absolute sense to bring in. Uh, you know, Daniel Barden looked 
good and solid uh, when he played. Um, so I'd have had no major worries about that, but it just makes sense to have a bit of experience back up and also to keep Tim Krul on his toes as well. Yeah, I think McGovern's out for a while, isn't he? And it'll be it'll be good for Barden to have another experienced goalkeeper in the in the training setup as well to sort of support his development. Makes complete sense. Um, obviously, not a lot more to say, but what I'm going to do, Michael, is plug another piece on the Athletic. I think by Dan Daniel Taylor, who did an interview with Lee Grant, which was a really good insight on the role of kind of backup goalkeepers. So I think, and and that, some of Daniel Farkas quotes today, I think they, they was, he was saying that the Nyland Nealand signing. Um, is as much about his kind of personality and character as it is about his goalkeeping ability. And I think that's, we've seen this season, I've said it before on this podcast, I think that the recruitment of players like Jordan Hugill, Ben Gibson, these kind of characters in the dressing room have been a bit of factor in our success this season. So if he can come in and keep Tim, hopefully he doesn't play, um, and keep Tim Krul on his uh, toes and, and provide a bit of guidance for Daniel Barden, then job done, I'd say. With Barden, I think the thing I noticed was that uh, he he was, had he needed the protection at Cardiff. I think, which I, I think was was probably something that got clocked. We'll see how things look like at the end of this season because Michael McGovern is currently out of contract in the summer, and um, I would say that Nealand has arrived with a view to seeing if it will be a, a longer deal beyond this summer. So probably a situation to watch out for, and um, I'm sure we'll get to look at him at some point. Quick update on Sebastian Soto. His work permit's all done. He's in fact he played for the under 23s today. They were absolutely outclassed by um, Crystal Palace four 0 I watched it, um, but uh, he was uh, looked a bit lively, and so in in what was probably a quite a disjointed performance by the by the rest of the side. So we'll see how that uh, develops. But at least he's in the building, and they can have a proper look at him now. Um, Melvin City played as well. He will be um, playing for the under 23s for the rest of uh, this season, and um, probably needs to get himself in, in good shape and, and see if he can make an impact. Um, the only two unresolved issues really in terms of the. Trans- transfer window uh Josip Drimic and Moritz Leitner uh, will they ever be resolved I mean it's, it's going to be a late thing if it has happened because at the moment nothing is expected um which seems a bit of a waste but maybe we'll talk about that next week I don't know if there's anything else you guys wanted to bring up in terms of the transfer window but of course Swansea who we will talk about in a minute Connor Hurahan's a fantastic signing for for them and and just watch his goal on Saturday because that kind of underlines it, which is his second goal in two games, by the way. And uh, also Brentford signed Winston Reid, I think, today, which uh, he's probably much older than I thought that I thought he was uh, now, but but still um, strikes me as a as a as a probably a decent in signing in terms of experience and things. So uh, yeah, I've got to be honest, I can I didn't even realise Winston Reid was still at West Ham, um, but yeah, on 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 paper, it seems like a good signing. But Conor Hurahan, he, he is kind of championship promotion personified, isn't he, Conor Hurahan? Like, he's he's the player you want in your team if you're gunning for... It's, it's a kind of classic January signing for a team who are looking to achieve automatic promotion. Um, really good one. Swansea looking good, but we'll talk about more, more about them in a minute. I, I would say I'm slightly disappointed. Disappointed, but not surprised we've not dipped in to look for another centre-back. I know it's, it's particularly difficult in January, especially when you're looking to recruit someone who'll come into a team knowing full well that Hanley and Gibson are very much the number one centre-back pairing so obviously it's difficult to dip into that sort of pool but I think we've left ourselves a little bit exposed because it's such a drop down I think a level now if we lose either of those two and in a long championship season with many games to come still and when the pack will probably tighten I think that may I'd be worried about it coming back to bite us a little bit but again with a caveat I can understand why we've not been able to because we don't want to recruit someone who probably hasn't got a long-term future at Norwich and it's hard to recruit someone um, in January, uh, and someone who may not expect to be a first choice pick the whole time as well. 
which is very much sitting on the fence really there isn't it no no more than normal dan's fine you didn't bring up var so that was good okay it is time for this is just like fantasy football this is almost fantasy football uh, so uh, we are recording as we usually do on Monday, uh, but it is a busy week ahead and a big week with Norwich at Millwall on Tuesday night, 6 p.m. kickoff, and then Friday night's cracker, arguably the biggest game of Norwich's season so far, I would say. Yep, yep, they're both nodding. Nodding. Uh, it's a Friday night trip to Swansea. Uh, so, as always, I want us to paint a picture of the forthcoming seven days, and then we are most likely allowing you to laugh at our picture with the valuable gift of hindsight. What's going to happen? I shouldn't be as calm as I am probably about going to the Den because I think Millwall haven't won in nine games or something. And they've got the worst home record. Well, in terms of wins in the championship, right. only won once at home Excellent. this season. Okay. Right. So we, obviously that's an easy three points. Record as well, I think, haven't we? So. Yeah. So what? What we're, we're, we're going to lose? Are we saying at the Den? It no. Can't be worse can it than the four 0 Tonking, which ended Russell Martin's career in Daniel Farker's first season. It can't get any worse than that. I think, I think, um, I never like saying stuff like that. (laughs) One thing about the Middlesbrough performance is a lot of people have been saying, including myself, that the Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday games is so detrimental to the quality of the league. But I also think the flip side of that, having a little rest, and especially with the FA Cup, a lot of players not playing men, I'm not quite sure we were quite in our rhythm on Saturday against Borough. So I do wonder if, We'll see a slightly more fluid, even without Emmy, a more fluid, sort of slick performance. And obviously, we'll see even more of the ball on Tuesday night. So I, I expect us to win at, at Millwall. I think Janulis might play again. I think everyone's been saying that Sorensen will come back in, but I think he might play on Tuesday and then Sorensen may be back in for um, Swansea. I sort of asked, I did ask Daniel that sort of indirectly today. Um, and I'd been sort of wondering if he might go with with Jakob but um no I, I think I'm inclined to think that Janulis will start because I think he's he's just keen to throw him in so be if you think about the him. type of match that we're going to be playing compared to Swansea where you'll expect us to be under a fair bit more pressure on Friday night then Sorensen is maybe slightly more suited to that but Ooh, I think right. it'll be tight I think it'll be tight on Tuesday I think Millwall haven't really scored that many goals we don't tend to score that many goals anymore which is sad <laughs> um <laughs> but we do score enough to win usually usually who who's playing instead of emmy because obviously emmy isn't in these two games which is the the big thing <laughs> well come on dan come on I'd, i personally i'd want an l in there um i think he offers something a little bit different just because he's so unpredictable and doesn't really know what he's doing half the time and i think we've maybe missed a little bit of that chaotic energy he provides, you know, we're top of the league, so we've not missed it that much. But um, at times, as seen against Middlesbrough, it was a little bit ponderous. So I think that sort of added edge that he brings. Uh, but if if you're looking for a like for like, then I guess Dow's probably the most likely replacement, isn't he? Maybe uh, playing as a, um, out, and he, he can play out wide as that sort of wide attacker as well. So he may he's probably the most re- likely replacement. It's a toss up really between um, between Anel and and Rajeta. Uh, I do like actually, even though I, I'm well aware of how raw he is. I, I just think you completely it's... dismissing Dan's here and Dalsh out there. No, 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 never dismiss no? anything anyone ever says ever. Because <laughs> um, uh, I'd probably say Dal as well, given the type of match I think this is going to be. But yeah, he probably won't play Dal. I just cannot see Daniel Farker playing Dowell, Vrancic, and Campwell as a three behind Bookie away at Millwall. I've got to be honest. But you know, hey, no. doesn't quite seem like Dal's got. 
Farkas trust yet, does it? Maybe his work rate off the ball is slightly suspect still. I think he is in as a 10. So I would be surprised if, as you said, he hasn't played in that much to then go and play him on the right when he's got two pacey options away from home. I just I just think it's more likely to be one of those two. So Maybe Vrancic might drop out as well and Dow plays in the 10 and Poeta or Hernandez. Or Kenny well. at 10, I saw someone suggest, which, you know, a bit of Kenny. And then you get Jakob in, in, in yeah. midfield, which a lot of people want to see. I don't have such an issue with Jakob not coming straight into central midfield, I must admit. It'd be Rupp and Skip, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. It's, it's actually right that Rupp was immediately brought back in for mid, for Kenny, right? Because Rupp was excellent until his injury. And then McLean replaced him and was also excellent. So to, to then brought Sorensen in, to essentially play in a midfield role he's only done so once for us, I believe. Uh, yeah. Once a few minutes in a... In a uh, I mean, the guy's a left-back. Why do you play him in centre-mid? You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so, right, Norwich are going to win like 3-1. Great. What about uh, what about Swansea? I mean, that that is a huge game. And and they did... The, the quality of the three goals they scored at Rotherham the other, uh, the weekend were it was sensational, actually. <laughs> Especially when you've just watched Norwich struggle to create anything. They're, they're a quality outfit, aren't they? And if Millwall have only won one home game all season, Swansea have only lost one. So I think this is going to be a really tough one, but you know, I'm still fairly confident of our ability to go there and get a result. I feel like, you know, stepping up in this kind of game is where our experience of even last season, but especially the season before can um, hold us in good stead. And what I would say on that more than the 18, 19 title winning season, if, if we're not going to win a game, I'm more confident of not then losing that game now, just because yep. our back line, or certainly you know, our centre backs look solid, don't they? They look like they're going to pick us up nitty gritty points throughout the remainder of the season, as long as they stay fit. I don't want to see Grant Hanley operating in the number ten role like he did at times against Middlesbrough against Swansea, though. I really want to shoot from distance. Why did he not? He had so many opportunities, just to absolutely thwunk one into the top corner. Vincent Company style. Hey, mm. you, you, you never know. I mean, it was quite amusing that Middlesbrough literally marked everyone other than Cran Hatley. It was yeah. like, have the space, <laughs> have the space. Um, yeah, there we go. I mean, at this point, I would probably normally ask how many points do we take, but will we take two points and, and avoiding two defeats? Oh. Mm. No, because I, I, think, I think we have to win at Millwall, really. Like, we don't have to, but it would be a disappointment not to get any other result other than a victory at the den. Beat Millwall, lose to Swansea, but then Swansea get the three points, you see. Oh. And also don't forget, yeah. you know, Swansea have got a three weeks, so hopefully they'll be sufficiently rested and out of their own rhythm, <laughs> which would be good to yeah. see. And also it's worth mentioning that we've built up a lead. So it, if we have a little bit of a sag now, then you know we can afford that, can't we? Bring on the sag. <laughs> I think that's the suit- suitable sentiment for this coming week. Um, Swansea sag. Swansea sag. Oh. Uh, um, well, I think that's time, obviously, on that sort of sentiment. Um, on the Ball will be with you all season long, so make sure you subscribe via your podcast player of choice. The podcast is available free for everyone on your usual player and ad-free to subscribers of The Athletic via the app. If you like what we're doing, leave a review and a rating. Please spread the word as you need to or wish to across the Norwich City world. And if you'd like to propose a topic for us to discuss um, other than referees, or maybe, yeah, one that we shouldn't discuss, such as referees, uh, then please let us know those you can um send me a direct message if you wish on twitter at michael j bailey in the meantime a big thank you to our wonderful uh, guests tonight ben thank you so much thanks michael dan pleasure 
Thank you very much, Michael. We'll be back next week for another On the Ball, a Norwich City podcast from The Athletic. Until then, never mind the danger. Definitely don't slide into it. And we're clear. Happy days, Ben and Dan. Welcome to Wits End. Been a little while for you both, or have I just forgotten when you last appeared again? Like I tend to do sometimes. Oh, yeah, it was pre-Christmas, I think. Pre-Christmas. Yeah, I've been on since then. Let me just check the league table on Twitterkers.co.uk. Oh, love it. I think there's a table. I forgot there was a league, league table on Twitterkers.co.uk. Essential viewing for all Twitterkers. <laughs> Michael um, Bailey, 13 appearances. Steve Sanders, 8. Me, 6. Dan, 4. I mean, I, I'm this a bit like... The, so fourth. this is your fifth. This is becoming a competition. I didn't realise that. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a bit like the PSG, really, of this, aren't I? There's, there's no way I can't win this division. So <laughs> um, there we go. Um, welcome, everyone, to its end. Welcome to you all, you lovely Twitterkers. If any of you have stumbled across this for the first time and thought that the podcast should have ended by now, uh, that's fine. Just listen to On The Ball podcast number 42, which went live on September the 8th. That was a long time ago now, wasn't it? It's all explained there. You can email this segment of the podcast directly, twitterkers at iCloud.com. That's Twitter, K-E-R-S at iCloud.com. Uh, or you can use the hashtag twitterkers on Twitter. Just don't explain what it refers to because it's a secret club, obviously. Um, I did notice on the uh, website, which has nothing to do with us, but is, has been created, twitterkers.co.uk, uh, the yellow bar is now telling me to chillax or that the world is telling me to chillax, which... Uh, sort of a, a legacy and maybe i should have taken that advice on saturday afternoon when i was recording my own video i wanted to drop it. a chillax into the main pod but then that would have resulted in like an awkward silence wouldn't it because you obviously don't want to mention twitter because you don't want to mention chillax it's true yeah yeah so well, yeah Steve, we couldn't really have addressed it could we no this is it's a good point it's a good point yeah. um Although, you know, everyone's then missing out, aren't they? All those ones who switch off when they hear the music at the end. So, uh, yeah, Steve Sanders makes sure he mentions it to me every time he sees me now, <laughs> which I appreciate. I'm not going to, I think that's wonderful. I did uh, see a, twi- a tweet, uh, hashtag Twitterkers, of course, from Stephen Pass. He said, um, I wonder how early journalists find out about transfers that have the info embargoed until an official announcement. So how much embargoed. notice do we get? Embargoed. Have you ever expected an embargo about a signing, Michael? Am I expecting one? No, have you ever respected one? <laughs> How dare you? Yes, all the time, actually. Pretty much every signing. Um, it's not you very... You did a tweet on that, actually, to Paul Hayward, the Telegraph. Oh, no, job. I didn't. Um, when Paul Hayward was congratulating someone on getting a bit of news and info about signing, I can't remember which one it was. Lineker asked why the journalists uh, scramble to, sports journalists scramble to break transfer news essentially a day before it's going to be announced by the club anyway. And as two people who formerly worked for the football club in the contents department and probably spent a lot of hours planning uh, announcements for signings to have Michael Bailey then flash up with the news an hour beforehand was quite frustrating. <laughs> I'd, like, I'd like you to explain yourself. Uh, well, I think, um, I don't know if I can explain myself. I mean, obviously there's a degree of, of football journalism being, you, know, you want to, Um, you want to know what is going on it's your job to share it and it's your job to try and find out a lot of these things first but and and to inform so there's obviously a bit of that 
Do you feel a, a bit of pressure in that regard, Michael, especially in the age of social media where anyone who knows the news and is in a position to be able to say it publicly can? Obviously, before when it was newspapers, you could you could work on a scoop and, and have it in your back pocket for however long you wanted, really. But now, do you kind of feel the sort of rat race almost? Mm, I suppose... Um, Not that I, you're I, a rat. I, yeah, call me a rat. <laughs> I uh, um, I need a few rats. If I could get a hold of some, that would be good. Uh, no, um, I think, uh, I mean, I never really did the job when it was just newspapers. So there was always a degree of internet and social media. So I suppose there was always that. I've never had the element of putting together a piece just for the papers. And then, you know, some you see a paper or another paper and someone else has got it. I, certainly when I started this job, I felt I felt that I had to, I suppose because I'd moved to somewhere else, it was like, how much is he going to know in a different job? So I suppose there was an element of that. But uh, since I've been doing it, I feel a lot more relaxed about it now. I know that I'm, I, the key thing for me is just to make sure I'm right. I'm, and I, I'm, I'm a human being. I couldn't possibly do everything first all the time without being or going insane or probably burning out by probably February last year. So um, I'm quite relaxed about it all now. Um, if I find something out um, myself, then i and I feel able to share it, then I will. And if I'm getting information in advance so that it helps prepare things, then I honor that. Um, you'd be delighted. To, I'm sorry you've missed out on all that, Dan, because I'd have probably just broken it a few years ago, but there you go. So um, it's not, it's not to answer not, the question, though. No, sorry, Mike, I thought you were going to finish there, but no, I was, I was just going to say. Yeah, I was just going to answer it. It's, <laughs> it's normally only a few. It's normally only a few minutes, really. I mean, if you know something's ha- happening, then. I mean, it's very unusual that a signing happens without people knowing about it now. That's the reality. The last one I remember, well, from my time there was Christoph Zimmerman was the only one, I think. We announced without any leaks from the newspapers or from... I think Kieran Dow was... was um, that wasn't out before it was announced, was it? Um, I think it was coming out from Everton um, that morning. So I think that was that sort morning, of maybe yeah. on the day or, or might have been a day or so before. Um, Timu Puki is the one because that... I was not expecting and I was running around Holcomb, the Holcomb 10K and I came back and I was at the CSF tent and they like, oh, we signed this bloke. And I was like, what? How have I not known that? It was literally, <laughs> I, I, I try and at least have an inkling of what everything's going on, even if I can't, you know, share it or whichever, or, or I don't know enough to share it. But that was properly like, oh, this is completely out of the bullet. So um, to, yeah. to answer the question, though, um, from my very limited experience as a press officer at Norwich City, um, you don't tend to kind of embargo news like a transfer, certainly not in the time that I was there. Embargoes are more for kind of the stories that aren't, aren't, aren't as kind of newsworthy as it were. Like you wouldn't kind of say, oh, you know, this transfer is definitely happening, but this is, we're not going to announce it until next Wednesday. You know, that kind of thing just doesn't really happen with transfers That's anymore. what happens now, I think, doesn't it? As in, that's to stop you getting the scoops, like the club kind of tells you some of them ahead of oh, time. Right? I, don't yeah. what, I don't know what you're but talking not, not about. Not in the form of an embargo, just in the form no. of a... I think conversation yeah. around, around the back of a Colney porter cabin. <laughs> if we know something's officially happening in, in the next sort of hour or whichever, then I think that's a reasonable embargo to, to, um, to hold. We'll get, we're going down quite a rabbit hole here. I don't know if anyone's really bothered <laughs> listening to this, but um, uh, bit you of that. Someone break news on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. Well, I've, I've barely done a video on TikTok. I'm, I'm still waiting for more suggestions of that. So um, the Athletic app first, of course, which would then filter into the Twitter stream. And then I could probably do an Instagram story and put my face on it just to please everyone. <laughs> well, I hope that answered your, your tweet there, Stephen. I, I think it did. Um, 
follow-ups welcome obviously uh we're probably out of time <laughs> um for this for this uh wit's end unless there's anything anyone else wants to bring up silence um right on that note pleasure i think we'll, we'll enjoy our evenings um if anything else happens between now and this podcast going uh, live in terms of the transfer window i apologize but you know fair play cheers gents much appreciated cheers michael thanks michael the athletic <laughs>